a very warm welcome again, and good morning to all this morning. If you would, turn with me in your Bibles to Genesis 11. That's Genesis 11. And we will begin our reading there at verse 10. It's Genesis 11, and starting there at verse 10. If you would just hold that in front of you um, for a moment or two, I'll, I'll make a couple of opening comments, and then we'll get to the reading of the text as we have been in these past several weeks now. When we look at this text, you'll notice that in the 10th verse, you have that phrase, that kind of catch phrase that we've been noticing throughout the book. And of course, that is, these are the generations of. Um, and so we are coming into a new section. But the question is, as we've looked at the book of Genesis, if you remember, you know, way, way, way back whenever we first started, uh, we said that there were 10 of these phrases in the book. Now, the phrases here can be easily divided into two categories. The phrase either marks a major division or it marks a subdivision in the book. So the question is, when we come across a, uh, the phrase as we have it in our text, is, is this marking a major or is this really now a subdivision that we're entering into? And I'd submit to you that this, this morning, our text actually opens up to us a whole another major division. So really, if we're looking at the text, we're looking at the whole book of Genesis, we're seeing here that we are leaving that post-flood world. And we're entering into a whole new progression in the narrative of the book of Genesis. And we'll say that, and, and here's why. Because as you look at this particular division, what you have is a real line of demarcation between what has gone before, namely, of course, the flood itself, but even, as, we've, as we saw last week, we even see at the end of the, the, tenth, of the ninth chapter and through the beginning of the tenth, that the narrative of the flood really comes to a, a, a real conclusion. We come then in this text, from in this division that begins in uh, verse 10 of chapter 11, all the way to the end of chapter 36, to a whole different progression. There are different emphases that we'll see. As the inspired historian gives us this history, he will, he will focus on different aspects of, of life after the flood than what was focused on before. So we're coming into a major division. And again, that's a division that spans 11.10 all the way to 37.1. And in this major division, there are three other divisions. So the first subdivision is actually one that we'll encounter in our text this morning. And that is, that first division is between Shem and Terah. These are the generations of Shem, then these are the generations of Terah. That section is roped off between the verses 10 and 26 of chapter 11. And then, if you look at chapter 11.27 and really run all the way down to chapter 25.17, you'll see that the next time we encounter that phrase, it's speaking of the generations of Ishmael. And so we have a section that goes from Terah all the way to Ishmael. And then from 25.19, you have Ishmael going all the way to 35-29 to to Isaac. And then finally, you have Isaac 36.1 taking us all the way to 37.1 with the generations of Esau. So we're coming into a whole new section, but the significance of that I think we'll see toward the end of our time this morning. I just want to highlight that for you before we go further. 
And in terms of review, I think it's important for us to keep in mind, um, and I, I never tire of saying this, um, that this is the Word of God. This is the Word of God as it's presenting to us history in perfection. That is, there is nothing in here that we cannot trust absolutely. Um, this is real history that the Lord is giving to us. But it's important for us also to remember that the Spirit of God, as he gives to us this holy and inspired account, is giving to us an account that is selective. I want you to notice that as we have watched, really from the beginning, the, the narrator is very concerned to trace the line of the covenant. Right, So from 3.15, when the covenant's first made, now all throughout the line of Seth, remember as the cursed line, that is Cain's line, is left on its own, then, as we saw even last week, we saw the emphasis in Shem, and so the distancing of ourselves from Ham and from Japheth. The emphasis of this history is not to give us a general account of human history. And we're going to see that particularly. The emphasis of this history is on the people of God. Uh, we don't know, for instance, what is going to transpire in the outer aisles during this time. Uh, we don't know, uh, generally speaking, the kinds of government. We don't even know, really, the rise, the origin of paganism. But what we do know is the church. We know how the people of God are functioning, and that is definitely the principal focus of this narrative. But I also want you to notice here, as we look at this text, we can't forget what we left with when we were together last. And that is, we left in a moment of crisis. You remember, we left as Canaan is cursed. We left as well when the nations are scattered. And we left, and we should have perhaps highlighted this last time we were together, we left as the, as the languages of the people are confused. Why is that significant? It's significant, and this is so crucial. It's significant because what you have at the end of chapter 4 of Genesis will not be replicated. It will not be replicated until you get to Acts 2. What do you have at the end of, of Genesis 4? Well, in 4.26, you have the people calling upon the name of the Lord. That is, all of those who are of the line of Seth, these ones are calling generally upon the Lord together. After the scattering of the nations and the confusing, confusion of the languages, that simply does not happen again. And we get a foretaste of its change, of course. We get a foretaste of the solution in Acts 2. But we can't miss that this is a real crisis. The revival of Genesis 4 will not take place again throughout the book of Genesis. So that's where we are. As we look at Genesis 11... You'll notice that we come, um, verses 10 and following, to a genealogical table. Two, actually. 10 to 26 is genealogy of Shem. Uh, verses 27 to 32, uh, the generation of Terah, with also a, a historical um, insert, if you like. Um, it's told to us about their move, their lives as nomads. And then verses 12 to, uh, sorry, chapter 12 and the first 20 verses there, you have narrative. Verses 1 to 5, you have the calling of Abraham, verses 6 to 9, the confirmation of that calling, and verses 10 to 20, you have crisis and preservation. And this morning, I, I actually want to cover all of this. Um, so what I'm planning on doing is reading through the text, making very, very minimal comments, um, unlike before, 
and then come at the end with a couple of observations. So we come to the text, Genesis 11, starting at verse 10. We hear now the word of our holy God. These are the generations of Shem. Shem was a hundred years old and begat Arthaxed two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he begat Arthaxed five hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And Arthaxed lived five and thirty years and begat Salah. And Arphaxed lived after he begat Salah four hundred and three years and begat sons and daughters. And Salah lived thirty years and begat Abar. And Salah lived after he begat Abar four hundred and three years and begat sons and daughters. And Abar lived four and thirty years and begat Peleg. And Abar lived after he begat Peleg four hundred and thirty years and begat sons and daughters. And I would just note here, Abar is the longest living um, post-flood father. Um, and so this is the beginning of the decline in ages. Peleg lived 30 years and begat Ru. And Peleg lived after he begat Ru 209 years and begat sons and daughters. And Ru lived two and 30 years and begat Sudurg. And Ru lived after he begat Sudurg 207 years and begat sons and daughters. And Sudurg lived 30 years and begat Nahor. And Sudurg lived after he begat Nahor 200 years and begat sons and daughters. And Nahor lived nine and twenty years and begat Terah. And Nahor lived after he begat Terah a hundred and nineteen years and begat sons and daughters. And Terah lived seventy years and begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. We come then to that next section, the genealogy of Terah, starting at verse 27. Now, these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity, in Ur of the Chaldees. Just note here, note where Abram and his family hail from. From Chaldea, also known later on as Babylon. When Judah is exiled, she is taken back to the land from which Abraham was called. The striking thing, and Stephen will make much of that in his sermon in Acts 7. Verses 29 and, and following, we have the narrative then of this family's move. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, and the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren, she had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. Uh, this is a kind of... Um, Foreshadowing, uh, a fancy word is prolepsis here, um, and this is important. You'll notice that Abraham, his father, and Lot are all making their way to Canaan here. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. And that explains why they paused in Haran, really. Most exegetes believe they paused because this is, of course, 
the place where Terah, an aged man, could go no further. And so we come to chapter 12 then, inserting here the first verse, inserting here, now the Lord had summoned Abram. The text, interestingly enough, could read, and the Lord said again to Abram. And that explains to us, doesn't it, why Terah and Lot are making their way southward at the end of chapter 11. Most exegetes, most commentators throughout history believe that Abram received his calling. His father and Lot came with him to answer that call. Um, But Terah, of course, dies before um, he makes his way all the way to Canaan. But we'll come back to that in a moment. The calling is, get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house. That is, get away from Haran but not to leave his father's house so as to exclude Lot. This is not a total separation from all that is in his family. And we'll see that in a moment. Unto a land that I will show thee, and I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed, as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land into the place of Sychem, under the plain of Morah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abraham, Abram, sorry, and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, and appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west and high on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. So here we have, in this first section, the calling of Abraham. I also want you to notice, this calling comes with a confirmation. The text says, without real elaboration, it simply says, and the Lord appeared unto Abram. The Lord calls him as Abram makes his way into Canaan. There is a theophanic confirmation, meaning simply God appearing in an extraordinary way. And that really then, anticipates what we have in verse 10. And there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there. For the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai, his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife. And they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman, that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her and commended her before Pharaoh, and the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep 
and oxen, and he-asses, and men-servants, and maid-servants, and she-asses, and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidst thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away, and his wife, and all that he had. As we close, I want you to look at this text as a whole. We could have certainly broken this larger text up, but I think there's benefit for us this morning to hold together the end of chapter 11 and the whole of chapter 12. Because I want you to notice, if we're remembering carefully what Noah had promised to Shem, these two texts tell us how that promise is going to come to fulfillment. What I mean is, you remember there, the Lord has promised to Shem that he will be the Lord God of Shem. That is, Shem's particularly, peculiarly. Well, here we find out how that's going to be. In chapter 12, we find a Shemite who is, by God's own free grace, made in covenant with the Lord. This is a text that explains to us how what was promised in chapter 9, 26, is going to be fulfilled, and will be fulfilled through Abram and through his family. But I also want you to notice this. By holding together these texts, we understand then how the crisis of the beginning of chapter 10, or sorry, the beginning of chapter 11 will be resolved. I mentioned this to you before, but I, I think it's really important that we remember this. Why was Abraham blessed? The answer is very simple. After the scattering of the nations, after the confusing of the languages, here is why Abram was blessed. In thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. This is the resolution. This is the solution to all that Babel represents. Abram is called, please understand this, not for his own sake alone. The Lord God has the nations that have just been scattered still in mind. He is still thinking, still thinking about the likes of Ham and Japheth, who will now be for millennia removed. Removed by language, removed by geography from the word. The Lord has not forgotten them. And holding together Genesis 12 and Genesis 11 reminds us why Abram is chosen. But we'll come back to that in just a moment. Actually, we'll come back to that just now. Um, when we look at this text, why is it? Why is it that Abram is going to be a blessing to the nations? The answer is the Apostle, the Apostle Paul is very clear. Galatians 3.16 To Abram and to his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed which is Christ. Beloved, in in chapter 12 of Genesis, you have anticipated even the calling back of the Gentiles in Christ. This is how Abram and his line will be made a blessing to the nations that have just been scattered. 
it will be through Christ. And beloved, that's how the Apostle reads the Old Testament, and, and that's certainly how we should be reading it as well. <clears throat> but I want to close with just a few words of application. If we're looking at this text carefully, there, there are a few staggering themes that, that I think are quite helpful for us. This is a Shemite. Abram is a Shemite, right? Now, Abram is a Shemite not too far removed, at least by generations, from the curse that Noah pronounced on Ham and on Canaan. And yet, when you come into our text this morning, you find a Shemite dwelling in tents as a nomad in Canaan's land. Just compare that reality with what you have promised in Genesis 9.26. There the promise is, the Canaanite will dwell in the tents of Shem. But in Abram's experience now, the Shemite dwells as an alien, as a nomad in Canaan's land. It's a striking thing, isn't it? We can go even further. The Lord promises. He promises Abram that this land, Canaan's land, will in fact be his. And that, that is a fulfillment of everything Genesis 9.26 anticipated. And you, re- you remember that this was even confirmed to Abram in an extraordinary way as God manifests himself uniquely. But what happens next? The Lord says, I will fulfill this word promised to Shem that Canaan will be his. And I'll fulfill that to my servant Abram. And then there's this wonderful confirmation. And in verse 10 of chapter 12, Abram has to run away from the very land that he's just been promised and promised with incredible confirmations, he has to run away because of famine. And more than that, not only is he running away, he's not even going back to his homeland. He needs to go further into the land of Ham, which is Egypt. He needs to go further and live among the people that are cursed. Deeper and deeper he has to go. And then you have, of course, at the end of this text, that that incredible test. You have Sarai, the the covenant mother. Because of this famine, because of this difficult providence, Abram sees that his life and hers, to an extent, are in jeopardy. And all of this comes after incredible promises made to Abram. Beloved, when you and I look at Genesis 11 and 12, What are we supposed to think? Well, one, we need to recognize that God is fulfilling the word that he had promised centuries before in Noah, that a Shemite would indeed be promised the land of Canaan. But we also need to see the experience of those who look to God by faith here, don't we? Abram is living in a way that's so very contrary to what a Shemite might expect. He is made a nomad will remain a nomad, by the way, for the rest of his life. On top of that, he is a man who has wonderful confirmations, followed by incredible, incredibly difficult providences that seem to be contrary to what the Lord has just said. What you see then, as you hold all of these things together, is that the Lord God leads his own. Beloved, in Abram's experience and right throughout the scriptures, It's simply true that often he leads his people 
in ways that are seemingly contrary to the promises that he's made. They're only seemingly contrary. We know that the Lord God will fulfill all that he promised to Abram. But for Abram in the moment, these providences would seem to be at variance with what Abram would have expected. And so, Christian, if, if you find contrary providences as you will, uh, you need to remember that this is how the Scripture speaks of normal life with the living God. Uh, the Lord will do this for his own wise purposes. Um, but this is certainly normal. This is something that the people of God experience right through the ages. But there's another aspect of this text that we can't miss. And that's really the end of chapter 12. You find the crisis here. And as you look at Abram, Abram does not emerge a man who is incredibly, incredibly strong, does he? Uh, As he is fearing for his life, um, there's a sense in which he's even jeopardizing his own wife. The king of Egypt at least recognizes that much. And so this this is not a high point in Abram's life at all. But I want you to notice that in spite of Abram's failings, the Lord still preserves and still ensures that what he has promised will indeed come to pass. We find here a man, it's striking, isn't it, that as soon as he's called, we find a man functioning certainly not as he should be. And yet the promise of God is not thwarted because of it. And so we have here, again, a providential picture that despite our failings, our God is faithful. But finally, beloved, as we look at this text, holding all of these things together, this should take us back to Romans 4, take us back to how the apostle uses this account, in which he says, Abraham did not know his right hand from his left hand when he went into Canaan. But he walked by faith. And beloved, that's exactly what our text is teaching to us, historically, but also urging us as an example. Even in contrary providences, even in things that are not something perhaps what we might expect, the people of God are nevertheless called to walk with an unfeigned faith. May the Lord help us to do that. Amen. We Let's close uh, with a word of prayer. Let's stand and pray. Our blessed and eternal God, we come thankful, Father, for your word. Lord, we thank you that this is a word that indeed holds out to us what one might expect, indeed should expect, in life with the living God. Father, we thank you for the grace of God that was manifest to your servants of old. We thank you that this holds in earnest for us today, the God who is with them, strengthening them and providing them faith is the same God whom we serve and whom now we invoke. O gracious God, be with us. Lord, we pray that you would increase our faith. We ask that you would cause us to walk with an unfeigned faith and with an earnest obedience. Father, we pray that in your mercy we would be found such people here, even in this place and in Lufthansa. We also ask, Father, that as we draw near to your throne, in the hour to come. We pray that we would know your blessings and your mercies. Our need is certainly great. And Lord, what we require, Father, only you can provide.
And so be gracious to us, we ask. We ask all in Jesus' name. Amen.